Welcome to Pushing Back the Dark with Lacey Buchanan. I'm so glad you're here to walk this journey hand in hand with me as we strive to walk worthy of our calling as mothers, wives, women, and image bearers of God. I look forward to living out our purpose together as we keep on pushing back the dark. Hello, guys. Thank you so very much for jumping back on again this week for my podcast. Um, This has just been such a fun experience. I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I am. Um, I just am really having um, a lot of fun um, just sharing my heart with you guys. Um, And um, I have something um, not so fun this week to talk about, but something really um, important, I think. Um, And um, before I do that, though, I want to remind you guys that um, you can check out my new website at LaceyBuchanan.com. Um, we are working on getting my blog sort of transitioned over there. Um, and my podcast, of course, can be found there if you're not streaming it from there right now. Um, my blog is currently at ChristianBuchanan.blogspot.com. Um, and hopefully we will be getting that moved over to LaceyBuchanan.com here soon. Um I also wanted to let you guys know about my Patreon. You can find it at Lacey Buchanan. I post lots of fun extras and things like that um, that don't go on social media. Um, so let's just jump right into what I wanted to share with you guys today. Um, last week on Friday, so on Good Friday, um, it ended up um, not being a great Friday for us. Um, of course, it's always Good Friday um, no matter what. Um because of what we're celebrating, um, and just because of the, uh, the amazing thing that Jesus did that, that we celebrate. Um, but it was definitely not, um, a great day as far as our circumstances go. Um, Christian went in on Friday afternoon for, um, his sixth ear tube procedure, pretty standard routine thing a pretty simple thing we've done it five or six other times he says he says this was his sixth I thought it was his seventh so we're going with somewhere in in somewhere in there but number six or number seven um and um we expected to be home you know pretty quickly um and I expected Christian would play for the rest of the day maybe go to bed a little bit early, but otherwise would be fairly, you know, normal. Just because it's not an invasive procedure, um, there's not heavy anesthesia, um, there's not a lot of pain associated with this procedure. Just, you know, so we were expecting, you know, sort of an easy, an easy day. So we get to um, the doctor's office and he undergoes this procedure and um, I talked to the doctor afterwards and he mentions that Christian was his hard case for the day and that he had trouble with the right ear tube getting it in. Um, and I won't go into all the medical explanation as to why that was, but um, I went back into recovery when he woke up. They don't let you go back there until they wake up, which I don't know. I have opinions on that. I should be there when he wakes up, not after. But anyway, um, I get back to the recovery room and He's hysterical, um, so out of character for him. He is just screaming literally to the top of his lungs. Um, he has tears rolling down his face. Um, he's got an IV in his arm. Um, he's got blood pouring out of his right ear. I'm, I'm talking just pouring, like running down his, his the side of his face and onto his neck, pouring. And 
Um, he's screaming, I'm deaf. I'm deaf in my right ear. I can't hear anything. Um, it hurts, you know. And I'm like, what is happening? So I'm trying to assess the situation and figure out what's going on. And I'm talking to the nurses. You know, doctors are coming in to check. So there's just a lot going on. And um, it takes like a solid 30 minutes to get him to, um, he's still upset, but not like screaming hysterically and crying. Um, just, just 30 minutes to just not get him to scream. Um, and that is just so uncharacteristic for him. Um, so in the meantime, I'm talking to the nurses, the doctors come in, um, they gave him IV anesthesia, um, instead of the mask. Um, and I won't go into all the medical explanation of that. Just know that that like makes you more groggy, um, than just the mask anesthesia would. It makes you much more prone to like nausea and those types of things and, more prone to just any of the more difficult symptoms that anesthesia can give you. Um, with the, the gas, the mask, there's there's just not a lot of, of side effects from that. Um, so um, we get all that, you know, figured out. We get him settled. He He is taking, he's got cotton balls in his ears. And he's taking the cotton ball out of his right ear because he cannot hear anything out of his right ear. He's he's telling me this. And um, when he takes the cotton ball out of his ears, there's just blood just everywhere. So another nurse comes in and she has to go get some medicine to put in his ear to make the bleeding stop. Because it's just, it, it's, you know, I, I immediately when I saw it, I'm like, this is not normal bleeding for ear tubes. What's What's going on here, you know? And, um, so they get, they get medicine to put in his ear to make it stop bleeding. Um, it works for a little bit. His, his, um, his nose quits bleeding or his nose, I'm sorry, his ear quits bleeding. We put some cotton back in it. He's calmed down. We think we're ready to go home. This is probably getting close to an hour after he woke up. Like it, it, it took a while to do all this. And really he should not have been in recovery that long for something like this. Um, so it's, gosh, I think it's about 3.30 in the afternoon um, when we load up um, almost two hours after his procedure should have, w would have started, which is just way too long for, um, for something so simple. Um, we should have already been home by then. But anyway, we, um, so we're, um, get in the car and he goes, my hand is sticky. So I turn around and he has taken the cotton ball back out of his ear and his hand has blood all over it. And of course he can't tell it's blood. He just can feel something on there. And, um, he's still very groggy from the anesthesia. I used a stroller. Um, thankfully we had that to get him back into the building. Um, cause there's no way he was going to be able to walk a long distance at that time. And so I get him back in the building and the surgery center doors are locked. And I'm like, what is going on? It's 3.30 in the afternoon. And it didn't hit me that, hey, it's Good Friday. They probably all left. So um, the other side of the building is like a children's walk-in clinic that stays open till like 9 o'clock. It's awesome how late they stay open because um, we've had to utilize them late at night. Um, and so I go over there and I tell him what's happening. And I'm like, look, I need some help. He's gushing blood from his ear. I don't know what to do. We were just over. We just walked out over there. Um, so he goes to the back and he brings out one of the nurses that we had actually seen, um, earlier during Christian's procedure. And, um, she brought us to a back room and she called a doctor that was on call because our doctor had already left. Um, an RN came in and checked on him 
they brought me some more supplies and basically just told me to keep putting that medicine in his ear um, as often as I needed to until until the bleeding stopped. Um, and they also said if it's bleeding the next day to give them a call back. Um, and so his ear bled for about 24 hours, um, just a, a heavy bleed for about 24 hours. And then it slowed down to a very, very slow bleed um, for, I don't know, three, four, five hours, something like that, and then finally stopped. Um, today is Monday, and he is finally, three days later, um, able to begin hearing out of that ear again. Um, my theory is that there was so much blood pulled behind his eardrum that it was, of course, inhibiting his hearing. And um, so I had this plan while I was, um, uh, while we were doing um, the surgery, um, I was going to take a bunch of pictures and videos and put together a cute little like montage of our day and the procedure and kind of how it goes and, you know, just like the routine because we have a, a pretty consistent routine of how we do these kinds of things now since we've done so many and I just thought it would be fun to document and share with everybody. Um, so when I got back into recovery, I had my camera ready to take some pictures of Christian, you know, like he's awake, it's all done, it's going to be like a happy celebration and of course, that's not what I walked into, and so I have these pictures of Christian um, from recovery, and um, he's, I mean, he's hysterical. Um, I ended up not taking any videos because it just, like, I, it just, like, you, you know, you're, I didn't have time to stop and take a video of him screaming hysterically. Um, you know, I, I was trying to help him and comfort him and, and, you know, figure out what was wrong even. And, um, and so, you know, I have a few pictures of him in recovery and he is absolutely hysterical. Um, he is, um, just, I mean, his face is just heartbreaking. And, I got home, we got home later that day, and he needed a lot of pain medicine. I had to get up in the middle of the night and give him a lot of pain medicine and check on his ear and check on him, and I covered his pillow with, like, a, a disposable bed liner so that it wouldn't ruin his sheets, you know, with the blood on it, and so I was making sure that that was, you know, still um, on his pillow and just making sure he wasn't having, like, an anesthesia reaction, like a fever or a rash or anything like that all through the night. And I was so emotionally drained by Saturday that um, I just didn't even have the capacity to think about Easter and to think about what we were celebrating and to think about, you know, the, the plans that we had the next day and just all those things. I was just so um, exhausted and emotionally drained. I was I was physically tired, but more so I was emotionally tired. Um, and I think that's mostly, you know, I went into this, I get so nervous anytime Christian has a procedure, you guys, just, it just tears me up every time. I can't help it. It doesn't get any easier. But what I have noticed this time, because this was expected to be so easy, I didn't really get nervous until I had to say goodbye to him. That's always the hardest part because he gets so upset and he's so pitiful that, and he doesn't want me to leave him and I have to hand him off to people that I don't know. And I hate that and it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel right. Um, and every single time my mama gut screams 
not to let my baby out of my sight because I have spent so many years feeling like, and it's not exactly the truth, but feeling like I'm the only one who can protect him. It's, it's my responsibility to protect him. It's all up to me to protect him. And if I give him to somebody else and they hurt him, then it's still my fault because I'm the one who allowed them to watch him. Um, and that comes from a long, deep-seated line of trauma um, and things that we have experienced since Christian's birth. A lot of it from the NICU um, um, and and having to leave him every night and coming in to the NICU the next day to find that, you know, he'd been given methadone without my consent um, to find that he'd been left in his bed to cry for, you know, an hour to find that he was losing massive amounts of weight because they wouldn't feed him correctly, um, to be told I wasn't allowed to hold my own child, um, to be told that I was required to take these classes before I was allowed to bring my own baby home from the hospital. Um, there was a lot of trauma that came with Christian's birth and his NICU stay. And it's it's still here today. You know, it's still really difficult um, for me, um, when we get back in those situations, um, just the smell of the hand sanitizer that the hospital uses will literally give me flashbacks to Christian's NICU days because it's the same hand sanitizer and just that smell reminds me of it and reminds me of all the time I spent there, um, after he was born. And so, you know, Friday should have been easy. It should have been this routine procedure, so I wasn't super stressed up until, you know, I had to, I had to hand him off. Um, you know, there was this expectation that everything would be fine. I told Christian he would be fine, you know, and um, I used to have trouble telling him that because I, I just, I thought, what if something happens and he's not fine? And then I told him he would be. Um, but anymore, you know, I have decided that it is in his best interest to tell him that everything's going to be okay ahead of time to give him that comfort and reassurance, you know, um, and that the worrying about something not ending up being okay is my trauma that I'm, and I don't want to project that onto him. And so, you know, I had this expectation that Friday was going to be easy, that everything was going to be fine, that we'd get home and we'd enjoy the rest of our Friday. We had a, you know, a three day weekend and it was just going to be great. Um, and then the trauma hits, right? Um, and all of those NICU days came flooding back. Um, and all of the reminders about the helplessness that I felt when Christian was in the NICU and he was losing massive amounts of weight and, and I was begging them to feed him more. Um, I was desperate for them to feed him more because I knew he was hungry and they wouldn't. And I couldn't make them. And it, I felt so helpless to do anything about it and and then when they gave him methadone against my wishes and didn't ask me I just came in one day and found out they'd given it to him um, and I just want to preface this they did not give him methadone because he was born with a drug addiction they gave him methadone because he had surgery at four days old and they used fentanyl as the pain medication for the surgery and um, as, as post-op for the surgery and then when he came out of the surgery and was in pain they completely stopped all pain medication. Um, cold turkey, they didn't give him like Tylenol, ibuprofen to wean him off. Um, 
and anybody who's ever had surgery, you don't have to have a narcotic to do this, but your first few days after surgery, you have to take pain medicine around the clock, even if it's over the counter. Then as the days go on and you're, you're, you heal, you can start taking the pain medicines at a longer distance apart, and then you can drop one pain medicine a few days later, and then you end up eventually not taking any pain medicine at all. Well, they just stopped all pain medicine, and he was hurting. He had a hole drilled in his stomach and a, and a piece of plastic inserted through his abdomen into his stomach, and he was four days old. It hurt, and they wouldn't give him Tylenol. They wouldn't give him ibuprofen, and he screamed. And so instead of just giving him pain medicine, they decided he was addicted to the fentanyl that they had given him, and they started him on a methadone regimen, which did not help him. It did not stop the screaming, but they forced a couple-of-week methadone regimen to wean him off of the pain medicine that he barely had any of. Um, that's a whole other story, but I just didn't want anybody to hear this and think that, oh my gosh, Christian was born addicted to drugs. That's that's not what happened. I've never done a drug in my life. Um, I've never even smoked a cigarette in my life. I just have no interest in it. Um, so um, anyway, just the helplessness that I felt when he was in the NICU, um, I couldn't make them feed him. I couldn't stop his hunger. I couldn't stop his pain. I couldn't make them give him pain medicine. Um, I, I couldn't do anything for him. I literally wasn't even allowed to hold him unless they gave me permission. And sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. And it was so awful that his crying eventually became a trigger for me, for my, my, the trauma, the, the PTSD. Um, and it became a reminder to me of my utter failure as a mother to take care of my child appropriately, um, and to care for him. I mean, his first month of life was a train wreck and I was helpless to stop it. And while I look back and I can see that none of it was my fault and I was at the mercy of people who should have done better, um, at the time it, it felt like this was my responsibility. This child was my responsibility and all of these things that were happening that I didn't stop that were causing Christian to suffer, they were still my fault at the end of the day because I'm his mom and it's my job to stop them. Um, and it also eventually led to me feeling like and having this trauma around allowing other people to care for Christian. Um, the people who I should have been able to trust to protect him and care for him and keep him safe and do the right thing for him, That's not that was not my experience. Um, I... Um, struggled after that with allowing other people to watch him with allowing other people to do anything for him and I was wearing myself out doing it all alone but that's just the reality of it I was terrified that there was going to be another incident and that Christian would suffer more um, and so you know I had a lot of trauma around that and and all that trauma related back to me personally feeling inadequate as his mother and watching him suffer um, through things that I thought would potentially take his life. There were times when he was in the hospital that I thought he was going to die and there was nothing I could do about it. Um, and it's just a, a terrible, helpless feeling. And um, trauma is hard, y'all. Um, and, and I think, you know, here's the thing, though. I think most of us have experience some form of trauma in our lives. I don't think that means everybody experiences PTSD from it, but we all 
have or will experience some form of trauma. Christian experienced it within a few days of life, you know. Um, it's just, it is a part of living, um, you know, this side of heaven. Um, and and trauma stays with you um, in ways that you can't control or predict. It it gets buried in that, like, animalistic, instinctual part of the brain, um, the amygdala. And no matter how much your logical brain tries to talk yourself into reason, tries to say, hey, this is safe. Hey, you're safe right now. Hey, this isn't the same situation as before. Um, the amygdala does not listen. The amygdala is that part of our brain that we use for survival, right? Um, it's that part of our brain that tells us, you know, fire's hot, don't touch it, without us ever having to tell ourselves, don't touch it. You know, we just, we just, we get close and it gets hot and we can back away. Um, and it's there to protect us. It's there to preserve us. But when we experience traumatic events, that amygdala, it gets completely out of balance, you know, because of our fight or flight instinct. Um, we are on a heightened, um, you know, we have these heightened hormones and um, I think it's cortisol. I've read this book called The Body Keeps the Score. I highly recommend it if you want to learn more about trauma. It's fantastic. Um, I think it's cortisol that um, people with PTSD have consistently higher levels of cortisol over longer periods of time, which tell our amygdala, danger, 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 even when you're safe. And it's it's not something that you can just turn on and off like a switch. Um, I used to tell somebody who couldn't understand my fears, I'd say, do you think that if I, do you think that I want to struggle in this way? Do you think I want to feel this afraid and feel this way? If I could stop it, I would stop it. Um, and that's not to say there aren't things you can do, but you can't flip it on and off like a switch. I know that personally. And, you know, I, I'm talking about my trauma, my own personal trauma and my own experience here. Um, you guys probably know by now I'm always an open book with you guys. I'm always honest about my own life. I'm always vulnerable with you guys about these things because that's just how I have found over the last 10 years. Not only is it therapeutic for me, but... Um, it's helpful, I have found, to other people, and it gives my trauma some purpose. If I can share my trauma with you that's listening right now and you can say, oh my gosh, me too, I'm not alone, then that makes it worth it to me. And I'm far enough out at this point where, you know, I have worked through it and I've worked really hard to overcome it. And I'm not saying that it's perfect or that, you know, I figured it all out, but I'm far enough away from it now that I can talk about it comfortably um, and and. You know, I don't know that everybody should or can, but for me personally, I feel like it's a good thing for me to be um, expressing to you these things right now. Um, and it's a way that I can share hope with you guys because I want you to hear from somebody who has been there, somebody who has experienced this trauma who can say, yes, I know what that feels like. I have lived that. Um, and I don't know what your trauma is exactly. It's probably not exactly like mine, although I know there are other people out there who have experienced trauma around um, a child with a disability or a NICU stay or a child suffering like a traumatic accident that, you know, left them disabled or just put them in the hospital and they were fine later. Um, 
you know, around hospital stays, those kinds of things. But there's also trauma around, you know, losing a family member, infertility, um, uh, loss of, you know, a baby before birth, loss of a baby after birth. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on about the things that can cause trauma. There can be trauma in abusive relationships. Um, there can be trauma in a parent-child relationship. There can be trauma within friendships. Um, you can experience long-lasting trauma from a car wreck um, or any sort of event um, that, you know, that was that, that could have potentially taken your life or that caused you some serious harm or, you know, something like that. Um, trauma comes in so many shapes and sizes and everybody's is a little bit different. And I think that's what makes it so hard to like nail down or, or has been so hard to nail down over the years. Um, you know, uh, PTSD used to be commonly referred to as shell shock. And there was this common thought process that only soldiers from war could experience PTSD. Um, and we're, we found out in the last, you know, decade or two that, um, people can experience PTSD for lots of different reasons and that soldiers who experience PTSD from their um, service, um, it's a very unique type of PTSD that needs to be treated uniquely and it, it's not similar to PTSD from like an abusive relationship and that has to be treated in a totally different way. So PTSD and trauma is so complex and so unique to every individual um, and even two individuals could experience the exact same trauma and still um, process it differently, um, and, and need different resources and help. So I'm not trying to give you an equation today to fix trauma because I can't do that. If I could, I would, I would, I would fix it in a heartbeat for you guys, because I know that suffering on a deep level and it's, man, it's, it feels hopeless. It feels bottomless. It feels like it's never going to end. And it feels like, it creates, it created within me at least this desperation that I would do anything to make it stop. I would have done not anything but close to anything to just make the trauma stop hurting so much. And, um, and I fought it for years and years and years. And, um, when I would beg God to take it, um, his answer was always for many years, no, wait. And, um, I'll, that's a whole nother podcast that I'd love to talk about sometime, um, with you guys, but, um, he didn't just snap his fingers and fix it for me and I had to work through it. And I just wanted to share with you guys some of the things that while I was going through it, that I knew and held on to and learned while I was, um, going through it and sort of on the other side now and can look back and say, yes, those things are true. And even though I struggled to believe them in the middle of my heartache, they are true. Um, and first, I wanted you guys to know that trauma is not a life sentence to suffering. That's not to say it's not going to be hard. And that's not to say it's not going to last for a long time. And that's not to say that it may be the hardest thing you've ever done living with the aftermath of a traumatic event. But it is saying that you don't have to always be a slave to your trauma. Um, I don't want you to hear me saying like that you can just pray it away or that you there's just some easy fix because there's not. But there is a fix. Um, and it's hard work. And 
it's not a perfect fix as as in one day you just wake up and it's all gone. <laughs> I, I feel like mine was a sort of like a, an iceberg and I would chip away at it with a, you know, like a, a little small hand held hammer and I'd chip at it, you know, one little knock a day and I would chip off a tiny piece of ice and one day I opened my eyes and the iceberg had a big dent out of it, you know, and I just kept chipping away at it and I, you know, a year down the road I'd look and, you know, I'd, I'd taken out a huge chunk of the iceberg and, 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 you know, that kind of thing, so to speak, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? I, I say that about a lot of different things because it's been so true in my life about so many things about how I've, um, tackled things and accomplished things and not get overwhelmed with a larger task. Um, you, you do not always have to be a slave to your trauma. Um, I think your, your trauma is never going to go away. You can't make the event not have happened, but you can learn to live wholly and fully again after that trauma. Um, and the second thing I want you guys to know is the is why you can do that. And that's because God is present in our suffering. And he is aware of our suffering. And he is not apathetic to our suffering. Um, he knows about it. He knew it would happen before you were ever born. Um, he, he cares that you went through it. Um, he, he holds you in his hand through it. And he doesn't leave you because you're broken. And he doesn't give up on you because you're broken. And there's nothing that you can do to make him leave you in the middle of that suffering. And that, for me, was the one thing I held on to on the days where I could not hear God. I could not feel God. Um, and I felt a lot like King David in some of his psalms when he would ask God where he was and why he wasn't, you know, answering. And I felt like that so many times. But, you know, when you read the psalms, you always know God was there. You know, even David discovered that even when God... When he couldn't feel God or hear God, God was always there. And and I want you guys to remember that today. I know you know it, um, but I just want you to hear it again today and be reminded. Um, and, and the final thing that I want to remind you guys of that I know you already know, but I just want you to hear it today um, while maybe you're thinking freshly about some sort of traumatic event that you have lived through and are fighting to overcome. I want you to know um, also that <clears throat> when we don't feel like it, when it doesn't seem like it, when everything around us is telling the opposite, God loves you and he is good. Um, while I was standing next to Christian on Friday in the recovery room, while he screamed and he had tears rolling down his face and he was bloody, um, God was not only aware, but he was with us. He was in that recovery room with us and he had compassion on us for the heartbreak and the trauma that we were going through and the emotions that were being brought back from 10 years ago for me. And he had compassion for Christian and the trauma that he was experiencing from waking up from a surgery in pain and, and unable to hear and scared and unsure of what was going to happen. Um, God was there 
and he was good in the middle of it. Because circumstances don't control God's goodness. God is much too powerful for a circumstance like a bad ear tube surgery to make him not good. Sometimes, and I've done it too, (laughs) we are inclined to ask, um, you know, how can God be so good if he allows XYZ to happen? How could God be so good if he allowed Christian's ear tube surgery to be so botched when it could have just went so right? But as a follower of Christ, we know what scripture says. And our job is not to figure out if scripture is true or not. Our job is not to see where it fits in or if it doesn't. Our job is to trust the scripture as truth and to trust what the scripture says about God despite what we see with our physical eyes. Because like I said, God is much too powerful for our circumstances to somehow change who he is. We don't listen to our hearts because they can be deceiving. We don't listen to the world. Um, And we don't listen to our circumstances when they try to tell us about the character of God. We trust in the scripture and what the scripture says about him. And the scripture says that he is loving and that he cares about us. That he catches every tear that we cry. That he knows the number of hairs on our head. And those are the things to hold on to. In the middle of our chaos, in the middle of our trauma, in the middle of the most difficult PTSD flashback you've ever had. We can trust God, who has been faithful from generation to generation. He was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to Isaac. He was faithful to Jacob. And on and on and on. And he is faithful to me and he is faithful to you. And at the end of the day, whatever our circumstance looks like, While I was sitting in a recovery room with a screaming, terrified, bloody child, the ultimate prize always was, always has been, and always will be Jesus. And no matter what our circumstances are, we have Jesus. And that is what we hold on to. That is the hope that we hold on to in the middle of of whatever trauma we're experiencing, whatever horrible thing is fighting against us. And so, guys, I I hope that um, this has been an encouragement for you today. Um, I I hope that you've not experienced some of the the pain that I have experienced. Um, But if you have, I hope this today helps you even just a little. Um, I'd love to hear um, how this podcast might have helped you. I'd love to hear um, your ideas for it and ideas for other podcasts. You guys have given me some great ideas for podcasts. I've got a list of things I want to talk about um, with you guys, um, and and I keep that list going all the time, adding to it whenever I think of things. And I'm always looking for fun things to add to it um, or things that will edify you guys, lift you up, encourage you, inspire you. Just help you in your walk with God, um, in your walk in motherhood, womanhood, your careers, um, your marriage, whatever I can do to help. That's that's the whole point of this podcast. So um, 
please um, go to LaceyBuchanan.com, go to the contact tab and um, reach out to me that way. Um, if you have ideas, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Um, and before we go to get today, guys, I just want to um, pray for all of my listeners, okay? Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity um, to speak openly about my own experiences, about my own hardships, um, and just about my own experience in your faithfulness. And I pray, God, that you are lifted up through this podcast, that you are glorified, and that those who are listening will lean in a little bit deeper into trusting you today because they have seen your faithfulness not only for people who are in the Bible, but for for people who are here today. And God, I just pray that, that the people who are listening would just trust you more, would just lay those traumas, the PTSD, whatever whatever they're suffering with, God, I pray that they will just lay those things at your feet and that they will trust you with them. And God, I pray that you will just send them peace that passes understanding. I pray that you will give them encouragement. I pray that you will just lift them up, God, and help them through whatever they are experiencing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.